Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Film Daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, November 6, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been up to in the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writers, Y-Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. So it is voting day. Uh, who here has voted? Me. Me. <laughs> I voted in early voting last week. It was, let's, let's just say, let's just say I'm not a fan of Ted Cruz and I've never been happy to cast a vote. <laughs> yeah, Jacob lives in uh, Texas and uh, they're trying, trying to, to turn it blue. We're trying uh, very hard. I'm gonna sit this year out, guys. I'm I'm just not gonna do it. No, I'm, of course I voted. <laughs> it's not an important year, so don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm planning to do it on my lunch break. And I uh, voted. Uh, yeah, this morning I got up early. Me and my wife went over, and it was packed. It's never packed, so I, I hope that's a good sign. Unless they were all voting Republican, and then it was a bad sign. So we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I, I took um I took my grandma with me actually, who uh, has has not voted in 
decades, I think. Um, and she was particularly passionate about voting this year. She's been kind of on a news binge, which is kind of unhealthy for her because she's been increasingly just anxious every time she reads the news and she sends me all these clips. And it's like, do you know what's going on? I'm like, yes, Bangwai, I do. I'm sorry. So um, it was, it was, yeah. So she, and there's Vietnamese on the ballots too, where I was, which was very, a new thing I think I haven't seen before. Like, I feel bad for living in California because I know how we're going to vote already. And I know that's not a reason not to vote because obviously there's all these other things like uh, I want to vote on the daylight savings time thing and Prop 12, which is about the animals. Um, But I wish I could be making a bigger difference like you, Jacob, in uh, Texas. Yeah, I mean, um, I said this this to you guys before, but there are millions and millions of uh, left-leaning Texans and if we all organize and get together, you know, the Texas could turn blue either this year or in a year coming up soon. It's just the fact that we've been conditioned to think it's a lost cause. And we've been conditioned to think that it's hopeless to try to vote for, you know, someone who's not Ted Cruz. So go Beto O'Rourke. By the time you hear this, maybe um, we'll be crying our tears and hoping for next time. But <laughs> I, I I know that there's a belief in Texas that within a decade or so, if things continue to track they're going, Texas could be a blue state. And fingers crossed. I hope by the end of today we've gotten rid of daylight savings time in California. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that, that 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 is. I don't know. I, I just feel like in California. Am I wrong, Ben? Like, what can we do in this in this election? Like, what what real power do we have? Um, I know what you're talking about, but I mean, it's important just to do it anyway. No, no, uh, I, I, I'm doing it. I'm not saying not to do it. It's just I feel like powerless to like the yeah, big cause. It's like I want to move back to my home state of Florida and vote there just because I know it would. Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. OK, let's dive into the water cooler. Um, let's start off what we've been doing. Uh, last week was Halloween. I celebrated Halloween at the West Hollywood Halloween Carnival, which is the biggest Halloween celebration in the world. It's basically like a one-mile stretch of uh, West Hollywood that basically becomes a gigantic party with everybody in costume. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, what else did I do lately? Uh, I didn't really do much this last week, so this is going to be kind of a boring update. Uh, I... I got uh, I updated my Apple Watch and the update that came out last week that was online for a couple hours uh, apparently had a defect and it bricked my Apple Watch. I actually had to go to the Apple Store and send my Apple Watch out and I got it back and it's working. Uh, not that interesting. <laughs> um, I went to Disneyland uh, and Disneyland um, right after Halloween and the week after Halloween and. Uh, is kind of the transition point where they're actually like transitioning from Halloween to, you know, Christmas. So I didn't get to see any of the cool Christmas stuff and uh, most of the Halloween stuff was taken down. Uh, but that was fun. And um, I also got to see Ralph Breaks the Internet, which I'll talk about later. I talked to the directors over the weekend um, at uh, the Junket and I actually asked Rich Moore, who I found out this trivia bit online. I didn't know if this was true because sometimes when you read IMDb trivia, you don't know what is actually true. It's all like user submitted. But uh, there was a bit in there in his bio that said uh, that he – Rich Moore, the guy that directed Zootopia, co-directed Zootopia and co-directed uh, Wreck-It Ralph and Ralph Breaks the Internet, that he was the one who actually designed Ned Flanders for The Simpsons. 
so I got to ask him about that, and it turns out he was the first person to design Ned Flanders um, in that uh, Christmas episode, that pilot Christmas episode. So um, that interview will be on the site probably next week or something like that. Yeah. Um, but that's what I've been up to. Brad, what have you been doing? Uh, well, as I said, on last week's water cooler, I was in Utah for the week. Uh, unfortunately, after we recorded um, that episode, I ended up getting sick and I'm still dealing with the remnants of it. I got a, like seriously one of the worst sinus infections I've ever had. Um, nonstop congestion, sinus pressure, a terrible cough. Thankfully, it didn't ruin the entire week we were there. We ended up it, staying home. Is that like caused by the altitude or made worse by the altitude there? It, I, I think that it was made worse by both the dry climate and, and the elevation. Um, but aside, just aside from that, I think this is just a really nasty strain. I think it, it started off as a cold and turned into a sinus infection because my dad had the same thing. Um, and yeah, it, it didn't ruin the week, but we ended up staying home a little bit more than we otherwise might have. We missed out on a couple um, fun Halloween activities, but we still got to do uh, one really cool thing because we weren't going to miss out on this because we got tickets to go see Ghostbusters in concert. Um, we reported on that a while back. That there was going to be this touring uh, orchestra event where they were going to be playing Ghostbusters and um, the respective orchestra in wherever location it's playing would provide the score. Um, and it was fantastic. Um, it's well, one of the things that was really cool um, about it is that the so normally when they do these kinds of things, they just have, you know, whichever conductor usually works um, in the, the area with that specific um, symphony do do uh, lead the orchestra. But in this case, um, they actually had Elmer, Elmer Bernstein's son uh, conducting the, the orchestra. So Elmer Bernstein is the person who composed the score for Ghostbusters. Um, he's also composed things like The Magnificent Seven and The Ten Commandments. So that was pretty cool. And it was um, the, the symphony was was perfect. It was really fun to watch Ghostbusters with an audience that really loved the movie. And uh, yeah, it was just it, it was fantastic. It was definitely one of my uh, one of the cooler uh, symphony movie experiences that I've had. So now I'm back and thankfully I am getting better. It's just it's been little by little each day just gets a little bit better. And I'm hoping by the end of this week, once I finish my antibiotic, it'll finally be gone because this it's it's been awful. <laughs> Well, I hope you get better soon. Uh, Jacob, what have you been up to? A pretty uneventful week for me overall. But I did buy, after months of weighing um, over what I should, I bought a weighted blanket. Uh, As I've talked about on the show before, I have depression and anxiety. Uh, I'm on medication for both. I have a psychiatrist. I I take care of myself. It's just something I deal with. But um, oftentimes I get anxious when I'm just sitting there on the couch or when I'm just working – on the site, I just inexplicably start getting upset and unruly. It's like I need to get out of the house or feel like something's wrong or feel like I'm, I'm in danger. And I have Xanax and Valium and stuff that I'm prescribed for extreme situations. But that's something, not something I can take at work or something I'm trying to have a, a fun night where I'm trying to enjoy myself. So I did research and found out that some people recommend a blanket that's literally, it's weighted. It is full of um, glass beads that um, when you put it over you, it weighs heavy on you, so it feels like you're in a constant embrace or a hug, or feel, or supposed to create the illusion of feeling safe. So uh, it was ninety dollars, so it's not cheap. But I bought a twenty-pound blanket from Amazon. There's heavier ones from for for higher prices, and uh, so far so good. I mean, the only issue is that it's, if it's warm outside, I, it, it makes me too warm to be comfortable. But like, I just put it over me when I'm watching a movie, or put it over me like when I'm trying to get to sleep, and it, it is genuinely relaxing and genuinely comforting <laughs> in a really weird way. Uh, so if you're like if you're feeling anxiety or just um, 
feel physically uncomfortable due to your anxiety, uh, this is something I would actually recommend take, trying out. You know, spend the money, see if it, see if it works for you. The uh, brand I bought uh, was uh, YNM, a weighted blanket. I bought the um, navy blue version because it, it looks good with a lot of different uh, colors <laughs> and situations. But that's, yeah, I recommend it. I've been reading about weighted blankets for like the last year and a half. I know that there's been a bunch on like Kickstarter, which is I'm a user of, um, and I've been tempted to back it. I, I know that even like, you know, I, I know you're saying with like anxiety attacks and stuff like that, um, it works well. But I, I've heard just even general, like it just makes you calm, like it's supposed to give you a, like a calmer feeling. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to try one, although I live more in a warmer environment uh, most of the year, so I'm I'm wondering if it's if it's worth it because you do mention that you do get very hot underneath that uh, blanket and the weight of the blanket. Yeah, there is a good return policy. I know that um, I'm not sure if it's Amazon or the company itself, but I have until end of January to return it. Uh, so if it, you know, so it's something I think it's worth trying out if it sounds appealing to you. Very cool. Uh, HT, you are about to make a big move, so you've been uh, d- doing some planning, doing some partying. What have you been up to? Yeah, so this past weekend I had my going away party at the Players Club, which is a bar I talked about a few episodes ago. It's kind of a a retrofitted bar that's made to look like a 70s basement. It has uh, pool tables, arcade games, and everything. And when I was there for my going away party, I learned that it has a claw machine with sex toys so I, I was <laughs> I went over there with my friends to go check it out and it was actually kind of disappointing for a sex toy machine we didn't really see anything in there except for like some lube and then a bunch of things covered in socks so I guess but I guess that's kind of the point it's like a surprise or something but I feel like I'd want to know what I was getting but whatever so you didn't try <laughs> to win any night. of the mystery sock items I didn't, I mean, I couldn't, um, I didn't play with the, the claw machine. I just like took a peek at it. So, and like, you know, those are all sort of like, it's kind of like gambling at a, at a Vegas casino. <laughs> You're like destined to lose anyway. So I just didn't try and I was like, okay, whatever. That was a disappointment. But the party itself was fun. A bunch of my friends came and, um, former coworkers and we, you know, drank and, uh, took some pictures in the, um, the photo booth that they have there. It's a lot of fun. I've had them on my Instagram now. And um, yeah, that was, that was a great night. Um, and it was a, the beginning of a packed weekend for me because the next night uh, my friends had a, an early Friendsgiving. Um, since, you know, Christmas is already here, they decided to squeeze Friendsgiving in early and because I'll be leaving soon. So we um, had a small Friendsgiving um, celebration which uh we've been having for the past like two or three years now and it's kind of a potluck i didn't bring anything because i've been kind of crazy in like packing mode i just brought some wine but they're very happy about that anyways because they're great friends Mm. but um that was not the end of my night because uh, later that night i ended up going to meet ryan Bergara and Shane Madey from BuzzFeed Unsolved. And I'm probably the only one on this podcast right now who watches BuzzFeed Unsolved, but it's a um, a web series from BuzzFeed that has been going on for the past, I think, four years now, four years, um, in which uh, these two guys, Ryan and Shane, um, investigate either true crime cases or uh, paranormal, like, 
ghost stories and they've been splitting up by seasons in which they do one true crime season and one supernatural season and it's great because uh ryan is kind of the believer and shane is a skeptic so they have a great dynamic going on and most of it is just them ribbing each other and um we actually like follow each other on twitter and um i learned that they were going to be in dc of course the week right before i leave uh for a an event in which they were doing a live like q a in uh in at GW. So um, we made plans to meet up and we hung out and it was so fun. I uh, yelled at them a little bit for their cost, their Halloween costumes in which they dressed up as gray vision. So like vision from, I remember if you remember in infinity yeah. war, uh, like turns gray after that moment, I won't spoil it's it. Ki- it's kind of disturbing. Who haven't yeah. Yeah. And they laughed at it and they're like, this is hilarious. And they dressed up as it for Halloween. And I was very upset as the vision fan, you know, I am. So, um, we made it, we had a disagreement there, but otherwise we had a, a rollicking good time. Uh, Ryan, uh, is a, and Shane were both longtime readers of slash film. Ryan, um, said that he's been reading it all his life, which I don't think is true, but (laughs) (laughs) is is he 13 years old? (laughs) Yeah, apparently. No, he's been reading it since high school. And he, uh, yeah, he told told me to send his love to the site and say that he's really loved the work we've been doing and how especially diverse we've been doing lately. So this is kind of a nice little ego, a little boost for our slash (laughs) film here. Uh, but yeah, I, I, Ryan is great. He, um, he and so is Shane too. They they're really they're as funny in real life as they are in the show. And I was really happy to meet them. And I brought along some of my friends too, who kind of fanboyed over the over them because they have kind of like yeah. this weird celebrity yeah. like level of celebrity now, it's like amongst millennials especially. Because um, my friend actually described it as like the per- perfect millennial ghost host, ghost hunting show, <laughs> and it kind of is. So it's it's fun, and I had a lot of fun meeting them. Is this a video show or like a podcast? It's a web series. It's, it's a video show on yeah. YouTube, and they're actually on Amazon Prime and Hulu now too. I will have to check this out. Um, what what season of the show should I check out if I if I'm gonna jump in? Oh, I'd recommend jumping in from the beginning because it's just um, it's fun seeing the dy- dynamic and um, all the cases that they've done. Uh, although at the beginning they actually had a different guy from Shane, and then they kind of just switch him out, and no one says anything, and you're like, wait, <laughs> I think there's a different white guy at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. I, I recommend um, all the seasons. They're all the episodes are very short. They're usually under twenty minutes long. Very cool, Chris. What have you been up to? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really, the biggest thing I did today, at you know, over uh, a period of time, is I voted today. And over the weekend, my wife and I went away for our anniversary. And whenever we go away, we do nothing. And that's great. That's what I live Wait, for. Wait, where, where do you go? Like, in a broad uh, sense. <laughs> we go to uh, Brigantine, New Jersey, because my family has a sure house there. So it's free. And that's another uh, positive. So free nothing is what I'm all about. And that's what I live for. So we got away. We relaxed for two days. It was great. And now we're back. And it's like I never went away at all. So what what do you do while you're relaxing? Do you watch TV? Do you read books? Do you... We watch Netflix. I read books. My wife likes to nap a lot. I'm not a big napper, so my wife will nap for like 15 hours, and I'm just hanging out with the dogs. So it's a very – we live like old people. That's that's how – that's our lives. Okay. I mean, my wife, my wife is in her very – young mid her early 30s i'm in my mid 30s but we live like we're like 75 and i'm fine with that that's 
Well, okay then. <laughs> Let's move on to what we've been reading. Jacob, what have you been reading this week? I'm not sure. This doesn't count as fine literature. I've been too busy playing video games <laughs> to read any books recently. Uh, but since I've been trying to simultaneously play Red Dead Redemption 2 and The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, two massive time-consuming games, I this thing I haven't done in a while, and I bought some strategy guides for them. I, and Wait, wait, strategy guides still exist with, like, the walkthroughs online and YouTube and stuff like that? I feel like they would be, like, you know, that market would be gone. Like, kind of like the market for maps. Like, we we don't need maps anymore. (laughs) That's what I would think, too. But the way they've survived, and this is something that if you work in the industry, please email me, is that they've evolved into luxury items. You you very rarely find them that aren't hardcover. You very rarely won't find them that aren't like luxuriously produced with beautiful art, high gloss pages, really good writing, really intense detail. They, they don't they retail for 40 to 50 dollars usually unless you buy them on Amazon. And like, you know, if I was was stuck at something in Red Dead Redemption 2, I could YouTube it, but then I have to deal with a obnoxious YouTuber screaming about um whatever they scream about when they're not giving you what you need to know. Uh whereas in a book I can like Casually be like, I'm going to pause this game for a few minutes, open up this physical object that's beautiful, feels nice, and looks nice, flip the pages, which feels nice, and rather than watch it happen for me on YouTube, have the book say, hey, go do this. I can still treat it like I'm on an adventure. Like instead of having it solved for me directly, I'm, I'm just giving the little boost of, from a book, a little hint. So I guess, while it's, I guess for other people, um, for most people probably, looking up on YouTube or going to game FAQs or going to like any uh, strategy site, it's probably preferable, uh, but as someone who loves my physical books, loves books that have time and care put into them, and as somebody who's like, I'm not playing a video game right now, but I'm going to sit here casually and flip through this book while my wife's getting ready to go out um, so I can prepare for some adventures later. Like, what do I gonna do? What am I going to do in Zelda tomorrow night when I play? Oh, I don't know. I'll open up to the side quest section of this book and flip around and see what's in my area of the game. And that, to me, is really satisfying, and... I was not expecting to be as satisfying. Mm-hmm. My whole thing is I'm trying to play these 200-hour games. I'm trying to, you know, help help run our website. I'm trying to be a husband. I'm trying to, you know, take care of house and animals. So I don't have time to, like, you know, just explore and find everything for myself. So having these nice objects I enjoy owning and enjoy flipping through to help me make sure my time with these games is well spent is proven really worthwhile. But I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I know I'm the biggest video gamer here, but does anybody else use strategy guides or do you have an opinion on this i'm very curious how people feel about using guides paper guides in 2018 i mean i used to use strategy guides back in the day in the nes nes and i just loved looking at the levels because especially in a side scroller they would basically screenshot the entire level and you could see it in its entirety kind of laid out and i thought that was kind of beautiful and uh, fun to look at and find out the the Easter eggs and, you know, side quests and stuff like that. But, you know, that's been many years. Uh, what about any, anybody else here that's used strategy guides? I definitely had a strategy guide for Kingdom Hearts <laughs> back in the day. Um, but I haven't, I mean, I don't play, play video games anymore, so I haven't had the chance to uh, buy any more strategy guides. But I don't think I would as of now, just because everything's so readily readily available online. And I mostly use my strategy guide to figure out how to play the game. <laughs> Remember when games used to come with an instruction booklet? That would tell you. <laughs> I don't know. That was back in the day. Uh, you mentioned, Jacob, Red Dead Redemption, 
which is a game that just came out. So I assume they don't have a strategy guide for that because the publishing process just takes a long time, right? Like, so Zelda, when does that come out? Like a year after the game comes out? Oh, no, they have the guides ready. um, Oh, really? And date now. Yeah, it's because um, I know back in the day, like when you find the Prima guide and the Brady Games guides, they would work with the... um, developers directly they would essentially be in there in in the with developers writing those guides while the game was being finished so um like i have the zelda guide and the red dead 2 guides all ready to go and they were on the shelf next to the game uh, when, when everything first launched and they even have like you know inter- intro from rockstar games the red dead one saying this was developed with our team um here's how they worked with us etc and they kind of explain a little bit about how it's um how it has their stamp of approval and they oversaw it with the publisher and the writers to make sure everything was accurate. So I think it's another, maybe another change is that if it, I think there used to be a lot more third-party strategy guides. The, the ones you find now, these lavish hardcover ones, tend to be made with developers. So so they so you're guaranteed to be getting something that is complete as opposed to something that was you know made by people who are guessing. I hate to get completely derailed here, but I have one more question for you, Jacob. Of course. And, and that is... Um... I hear all these stories about modern video games, how they are not even ready when the game hits the shelf. So, you know, there's a pat, you know, when you buy Red Dead Redemption and you put it into your machine, it has to download this patch that has the updates for the last, like, you know, month of development. So I'm assuming they printed this book a month or two ago. How, how, how does it stay up to date with all the, like, the last minute stuff? I'm not a video game developer. I'm not gonna pretend I know the industry <laughs> incredibly well, but from what I understand, you know, a, a game's story and basic functions and basic controls yeah. and the, the, everything that really matters is is locked into place. You know, months and months and months ago, and those final months are about ironing out bugs, quality of life stuff, make sure the graphics are finally ready. But all the stuff you'd be worried about for an actual strategy guy, all the stuff is gonna matter about how, do, how where these stories are, um, how to get from A to B. Um, the best tips for finding the best horses in Red Dead, those will already be in place. Um, but yeah, you, you're right. Like when I, I remember the days when I used to put in a game as ready to go. Now I had to put in Red Dead 2, uh, download 90 gigs onto my uh, Xbox hard drive across two Blu-ray discs, and then do the 5 gig update before I could play. Uh, so yeah, it's, <laughs> it's definitely a thing. And when they add DLC, uh, you know, extra missions and multiplayer, which is coming soon, um, the guide will definitely be you know um, a little outdated. But since the bulk, since the bulk of the game is a single player experience, meant to be played as a story, uh, it, it feels fairly complete from what I can tell. Very cool. Um, let's move on to what we've been watching. I will start things off. I saw an early screening of Ralph Breaks the Internet. I talked about this yesterday on the podcast, so I'm not going to get too far into it. But I enjoyed it. It was better than I expected it to be. It wasn't as good as uh, Wreck-It Ralph, which is one of my favorite uh, Walt Disney animated studio films. And uh, yeah, I, I I would I would recommend seeing it in theaters. the The world that they create, the visualization of the internet is 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 a lot of fun. Um, even if the story kind of at times goes all over the place. Uh, yeah. So um, I also finally watched American Vandal because of uh, you guys and also because of <laughs> Jeff Kanata and the Slash Filmcast. Everybody was talking about American Vandal for so long. I had resisted for so long. I think I, I said on the podcast last week because I just assumed it was kind of a parody that was going to wear itself thin. And, you know, I'm not even usually a fan of comedic television 
in general. Uh, that's not to say I don't watch comedic television. I watch, you know, Silicon Valley. I, there's shows I watch. Uh, but I, I, I just feel felt like it was going to be kind of a one-note thing. And I, I think you guys as a whole convinced me that it wasn't going to be. And I watched it, and uh, I'm here to tell you that you guys are wrong. Actually, no, you guys are right. Uh, the show... <laughs> oh, my God, Peter. You, you, you scared me for a second. <laughs> no, it, it, it is really good as a, just a story. It's really good in um, how introspective it is uh, on the true crime and also documentary, like, process the filmmaking process it's uh, so clever so smart uh you know i also stayed away from this because i usually hate mockumentaries and how people act in mockumentaries and it's always kind of like two or three steps above how people would normally act and it feels fake and it feels i'm sorry brad but it feels like an snl sketch and <laughs> like uh like in this it, it felt very, I mean, it was a little elevated, but it felt for the most part real and it was believable and it was fun and funny. And I am excited to dive into season two. And you know, it, with the 30 minute episodes, it was what, what, four hours of television to watch season one or something like that. So it was, it was a breeze. Um, but I, I am excited to get into season two. Um, and uh, that is all that I watched this week. Brad, what have you been watching? Uh, so I was able to sneak in a screening of Bohemian Rhapsody back when I was still in Utah, and I I enjoyed it. Um, it's not great, um, it's but I feel like it's being pretty harshly judged. I've seen a lot of people say that it's terrible and just awful, and while I will admit that it is absolutely rife with the cliches of rock biopics that, you know, you've seen in Walk the Line and Ray and that sort of thing. Basically all the stuff that was spoofed in Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. I still think the movie is thoroughly entertaining. And uh, mostly just because uh, Rami Malek does such a good job playing Freddie Mercury. And like the, the movie around him is, is certainly shallow. It's, you know, it does nothing new, you know, uh, with the, the rock biopic genre. Um, and there's, you know, there, there's some cheesy moments in it for sure, but it's, it's very entertaining. You know, I, I think the Queen soundtrack definitely helps that. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's a surface level biopic, not what I would call great. Um, certainly not, you know, a best picture contender or anything like that. But I, I do think that it's just, you know, a, a fun movie to watch, especially if you're a, a Queen fan. This was a film I was hoping to get to over the weekend, but I was just so busy I, I didn't get to it. Uh, although it, it sounds exactly what I thought it was going to be from from your description. Um, what else have you been watching, Brad? Uh, yeah, so I also got around um, to – this is a, a Netflix series that's been around for a while, and it's something that my girlfriend likes to watch because she's into – cooking and food documentaries and that kind of thing. And so she had me sit down and watch uh, a few episodes of Chef's Table. And it's it really is a fascinating and uh, interesting documentary series that will also make you extremely hungry. Um, it's it's very stylish and the it's, it's shot in a way that just, just makes all of the food look incredible. But there's also just really um, beautiful settings and stuff too. It's, it's the, the presentation of it is very cinematic and I found myself, you know, mesmerized by a lot of these settings where these cooks work. And, um, yeah, there's just there's really interesting people out there cooking and like their passion for food is uh, just something that is really 
you know, uh, fascinating and interesting on a level that I, I wasn't completely expecting. You know, like I've seen some, you know, food documentaries and things like that. But this, this is something where you can just tell there's a lot of love for, you know, cooking. It's such a beautifully made and, uh, you know, just shot series. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jacob, what have you been watching? Well, I managed to pick up the new Universal Monsters Blu-ray box set. I had the one from a few years ago that had, I think, maybe eight movies in it. But Universal just put out a new one that has, I think, 30, like all 30 of the major Universal Monster movies from the late 20s all the way through the 50s. And it was on sale on Amazon for half off, so I snagged it. And it does a great set. It's sturdier and better looking than the previous set was, in my opinion. Uh, it looks great on the shelf, but the movies themselves all hold up, even the ones that are, aren't very good. Universal put a lot of love and care in these transfers. They look amazing. Some are masterpieces. Some aren't. Uh, but as a slice of film history available for the price that Amazon has it for, uh, it is unbeatable. Like, this is a must-own set, especially since I don't think most of these movies are streaming. And it's just wonderful to have them all in one place forever. Um, in terms of new stuff... I finally got around to watching Skyscraper, which I rented from Amazon Prime the other night. And I know the Slash Film team is very down on this movie. I recommend watching it with my drunk wife, who made it extremely entertaining. <laughs> as she managed to explain why The Rock is the hottest, and why this movie was amazing, and why it was an important film for 2018. Uh, all because she was drunk. Uh, but Jacob, but your wife is was... so smart, I can't understand. <laughs> But we had a great time with it. I, I'm not going to say it's a, it's, it's a really stupid movie. And, and and it's hurt from having a really bad lead villain. It has a really tired second half compared to the first half, which is a lot more fun. It is a dumb, dumb, dumb movie. But I think under the right circumstances, you can have a lot of fun with it, which I did. But I'm not going to go marching to its defense anytime soon. But I had a great time watching um, The Rock, my, my wife's new boyfriend, uh, save his family. <laughs> And for my weekly ER check-in, we are now nearing the very end of season eight, which means that Dr. Mark Green is dying of his brain tumor very slowly. And um, we just last night watched the uh, episode that caught by surprise because it was a crossover with the uh, long-dead TV show uh, Third Watch, which was created by one of the ER's executive producers. And it was so strange to see like one character say, like, I got to go to New York to find my missing sister. And walk into the world of Third Watch, a show I've never seen, but the show clearly expects me to know who all these people are and barely introduces them. And it was maybe my least favorite episode of ER of all time because it just became an episode of Third Watch. I'm like, why am I watching Third Watch? I want to watch ER, damn it. Um, but season eight is actually a big improvement over season seven, uh, even though the mass exodus of cast members has me worried. I mean... Um, Dr. Green le uh, is leaving because he's dying. Uh, Dr. Benton, my man, Dr. Benton, uh, left the show. Uh, Dr. Dave got fired. Dr. Cleo uh, left for a new job. So there's all these doctors who I love very much are leaving the show and leaving behind all these second stringers and newcomers. And thankfully, Abby Lockhart, my my favorite depressed TV character of all time, possibly, is still here to anchor me. Um, but other than Abby and um, Dr. Carter and Dr. Weaver... As a bunch of newbies, all these new doctors who I don't trust yet. I don't trust them with my life yet. And then the mark of a good ER cast member is, would I let them operate on me or treat me? And right now the answer <laughs> for most of them is no. So we'll see how season nine goes. I love that that is how you judge them, is if, they, if they're if they good enough for you. <laughs> uh, also, after putting it off for a long time, my wife and I started uh, the great uh, British baking show season five. We love the first four seasons. We put off season five because there's a, an, a one, one of the judges left. There's a new judge. 
there's two new hosts. It's all due to this behind-the-scenes shakeup uh, when the uh, show switched networks in England. And we put off because we were so worried it wouldn't be the same show. And it's the same show. It's still the most relaxing comforting, warm competition show of all time. The kind of show where the people who lose hug everybody else and say, I'm so happy I did this. And everybody's so nice to each other. And the tone is so pleasant. And there's no backbiting or snide remarks. And there's no manufactured drama. It's just really nice English people making good-looking food. And I, so season five is more of the same, even with new hosts who are rapidly growing on me. Uh, but I know Chris has been watching this too, right? Uh, yes, my wife and I love this. Uh, we watched the the newest season already, and then the other day I noticed over the weekend, or uh, at least sometime in last week, Netflix uploaded this thing called uh, the Great British Baking Show: The Beginning. And I don't know why it's called that because I, I thought that meant it was going to be the first season, but it's not. It's like the third season, so I don't know why they're calling it the beginning, but it. In any case, it's an older season with the original hosts, and uh, yeah, everything Jacob said uh, holds true. It's just this very nice. It's like comfort food in the form of a show. Like, uh, you know, my wife and I we like to watch you know serious stuff too, but you know, some nights we just don't really want to <laughs> focus that much. We just want to watch <laughs> nice British people baking, and that's what this show is. It's just very nice. And it's so much better than like American cooking shows or American because everyone on American shows, they're all very cutthroat and they're all trying to one up each other. And on this show, like the contestants help each other. It's this really weird, polite thing. Like if one of them needs a hand picking something up, they'll, you know, they'll help each other. And that never happens on an American show. They're just like, I'm here to win. Get out of my And It's just it's just this nice mentality that I wish was uh universal but it is somehow all focused into this this show it, it, it's funny too that i that both of you are praising it for for that aspect and and jacob you've in the past praised uh what was that show ultimate beastmaster yeah for the same kind of uh the way they handle competition and the whatever it, it gives me a perspective of on what kind of entertainment you are looking for today I, I i guess the world stinks so much that i'm gonna watch a reality show i want a reality show full of people who are going out of their way to be good to each other and ultimate Beastmaster and great british baking show despite being completely different types of competitions ultimately are about people coming together because competing brings you closer rather than divide rather than divide everybody and that is really powerful and it makes me never want to watch bad reality shows ever again huh. chris have you been watching any movies this week uh yeah i saw a few what did i see i saw um i finally watched the nun which is the latest uh conjuring film and i was sadly a little disappointed i i love the conjuring main series i i've been so, sort of so so on the spinoffs the annabelle films and i was really looking forward to this because i i like the idea of a creepy nun movie and i thought the nun character was very creepy in the conjuring too and uh, the look of this film is great. Visually, it's fantastic. It's very dark and gothic and murky, and I, I love that. But the plot is kind of dull, and you, your, your demon nun movie should not be dull. Like by default, it should be an interesting movie, and I, I it just didn't hook me. So I'm a little let down by that. Um, I wish. I, I know there there were extensive reshoots and uh, James Wan came in to shoot a few new things and I'm very curious 
if like an earlier version of the film had more personality in line with the director's uh, uh, ideals, uh, his name is Corin Hardy, and maybe like an earlier cut was better, but not as jump scary as they were hoping for. And maybe that's what went wrong. I don't, I don't really know. Um, other than that, I also watched the, the new cut of Outlaw King, which is the, the Chris Pine Netflix movie. I saw the, the original cut at TIFF and I didn't like it and neither did anyone else. And as a result, the director decided to go back and edit it before it, it comes to Netflix this week. And he, he cut about uh, 27 minutes off of it. And uh, it's it's a better movie pacing wise now. It doesn't drag as much. It's not as you know. Uh, it doesn't go on forever. But you know, all the editing in the world can't change the fact that this really isn't that great of a movie. It's 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 just kind of uh, there. I mean, it, it looks great. It's got some really uh, memorable battle sequences in it. They're very gory and very brutal and they're going to make you squirm if you're uh, squeamish. But other than that, it, it doesn't really work that well. I mean, Chris Pine is fine. Um, mm-hmm. the, the cast does an okay job, but I just, you know, this cut didn't really save the movie for me, unfortunately. But is Chris Pine's nude scene still in there? That's the most important question. Yes. The Pine Peen remains uncut. Yes. I just want to point out that I had a dream last night, Chris, where I watched The Outlaw King and I watched it with a a non-existent doctor friend, just existing in real life, only in this dream, who diagnosed Chris Pine with a life-threatening disease based on seeing his penis, and the rest of my dream was us trying to find him to warn him. (laughs) That sounds better than the movie, so I... (laughs) Oh, oh, okay, I just realized that we missed the opportunity to call them the Pine Nuts. (laughs) <laughs> oh. wow. Also, I I don't I don't I'm not gonna make any assumptions, but the fact that, <laughs> that the pine peen is uncut does that mean he's not? <laughs> no, that was just uh, I, that was some uh, wordplay on my part. I'm pretty sure he is he is actually cut. So I mean, you'll have to you'll have to zoom in when it drops on Netflix this Friday. <laughs> Let's shut it down, guys. It's not gonna get any better than that. <laughs> Well, uh, Ben, you've been watching a lot of stuff. So what, what what have you been watching? Yeah, I watched the 1933 King Kong movie for the first time. I've seen, um, I think, actually only Peter Jackson's version from, what was that, 2005 when that came out. That's the only official King Kong, uh, you know, like um, Kong Skull Island, which came out last year. But in terms of like, quote unquote, real King Kong movies, that was uh, the old school ones anyway. That, that was the only one I'd ever seen. So I decided to go back. And uh, check out the original. It was on TCM recently. And uh, this movie is really good. I mean, it's it's really difficult to to stomach some of the stuff like the racism and the misogyny and some of that stuff uh, looking at it through a 2018 lens. But I'm not really interested in, um, you know, judging an older movie on modern standards. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. So for the time and, and for what it was like. The special effects, especially like the stop motion stuff from uh, Willis O'Brien, like that, a lot of that looks really great still. I mean, it was made in 1933 and it it still holds up pretty well. Um, I was surprised at how well 
the emotion comes across in the Kong character in that movie. And I was also, I think my biggest surprise of the whole thing was uh, Faye Ray, who was is the lead actress in the movie. And I, I don't know, I, I guess I'd never, I've never seen her in a movie before. And I always just sort of assumed that she was like a, um, like an early scream queen. And that was about it, that that's all she did in this movie was scream. And like, maybe that's why she got cast was she was really great at screaming, but like, she is like a straight up movie star. I mean, watching this movie, it was like, wow, she is really, really good. I, I wonder what else she's been in. And then I was just clicking around on Wikipedia a little bit and saw that she's been in a bunch of other stuff that I've just never got around to seeing. So I'm going to have to add some of that to my queue because I, I re- was very impressed with her performance. Um, and yeah, I think it's uh, it's definitely worth seeing if you've never checked it out just for like the uh, the historically significant <laughs> aspect of like going back to those early days and, and thinking about like how soon this was made after like the jump to sound, for example, it, it just sort of made it all the more impressive. This is like a huge this was a huge movie at the time. It saved RKO from bankruptcy and um, and it, it feels like it would have been a huge movie. It, it has this big like summer blockbuster feel to it almost. I imagine that's what summer blockbusters might have been like in 1933. It's paced so well. Like so many old movies like kind of trudge along modern standards, but King Kong flies like you're into that movie so fast. Yeah, it was, it was very enjoyable. Um, and then also, I I watched the first episode of Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj, and I have never seen... Um, I stopped watching The Daily Show a long, long time ago and was never really into it in the first place. Uh, I would just sort of check in here and there. So I was not familiar with Hassan Minaj as a comedian, and um, I just, I don't know, I, I gave this new show on Netflix a shot. It's like a, a weekly show that comes out on Sundays, and it's like a you know, the episodes are like 20 minutes, 30 minutes long or something. And it's just him tackling one topic. And I watched the first episode and really liked it and then went back and watched uh, his stand-up special from last year called Homecoming King, which I had never seen before and didn't know anything about. And I was like blown away by how great this stand-up special is. It's one of, I think... I mean, I'm sure there's like some Chappelle stuff in there, but my this instantly rocketed into like the top three stand up specials for me. Um, And it's not even like that. It's particularly laugh out loud funny, but just the structure of it. It's so surprising. The storytelling aspect of it is so great. Um, I'm I don't know. I, I was somebody who just completely missed the boat on. Hassan Minaj Homecoming King last year. And if you are like me, if you're like, what are you talking about? Uh, add it to your Netflix queue because I I found it to be an incredibly rewarding experience and um, it was fantastic. And so I had like a Hassan Minaj mini marathon where I just watched, I, I ping pong back and forth between Patriot Act. I watched this Homecoming King special and then I just watched all the rest of the episodes of Patriot Act. And I'm definitely going to be keeping up with that uh, as the show moves forward. I think it's only gotten like three episodes in or something because it, it launched relatively recently um has anybody else seen that that show yet i've actually watched the first two episodes and i really enjoy it too i hadn't watched daily show recently either so i didn't really know much about hassan minaj other than the very cute um netflix video with him and tan from queer eye which they started speaking sort of a a like unspoken language between like their their felt their fellow brown experiences and I really enjoyed that but uh, I liked the the first two episodes a lot especially how he tackled affirmative action in the first one and mm-hmm. seems to be addressing specifically like an Asian American audience and not in, and in a way that's like takes them to, to task too which I very much enjoyed 
Yeah, it's great. Um, and then my wife is out of town, and she's not a huge fan of uh, martial arts cinema. So I decided to watch The Night Comes for Us, which I think Chris and Jacob have both talked about previously. And I remember Chris making some comment about how if your wife saw you watching that movie, she would instantly divorce you or something like that. So I was <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. all right, I'm going to wait until my wife goes out of town to check this one out because there's a lot of like super hardcore violence and stuff in it. And I actually turned it off after 45 minutes. And I never do that with movies just because it was so relentless in the extreme violence. And I didn't really care about the characters. And I think that is the, the latter point was the real sticking point for me where I just like, with the raid and all these other movies, I could always get into it on a base level where I was either rooting for or understood the characters. And this one, I just thought it was like so thin in terms of uh, building the characters that I just I found it exhausting to watch and like uh, just unpleasant to watch because of how uh, extreme the violence was. So I turned that off and watched all three Ip Man movies instead, which have been sitting in my Netflix queue for like, I don't know, years at this point. Um, and those were very much more up my alley. Donnie what, what, what is uh, Ip Man for people that don't uh, know? Yeah, so Donnie Yen uh, of Rogue One, a Star Wars story fame. That's probably where a lot of our listeners might know him from. Uh, he's uh, an international superstar. And he, uh, the, the Ip Man movies are uh, a trilogy of films where he plays um, Ip Man, who's a grandmaster of Wing Chun, which is a very special uh, martial art in uh, China. And he was the teacher of Bruce Lee back in the day. So uh, these movies are basically just like... Um, like traditional, more traditional sort of martial arts fighting movies instead of like all out gore and people getting, you know, stabbed through the eye with bones and whatever <laughs> the hell uh, The Night Comes for Us was doing. Um, but uh, I think I enjoyed the first It Man movie the most. That one came out in 2008. Um, the other ones fall into a little bit more of like a traditional sports movie kind of formula and especially it man 2 like the back half of it man 2 is basically rocky 4 but with martial arts instead of boxing um which i found surprising and, and kind of strange and then it man 3 was i mean it's a, it's a solid trilogy but uh i think the first one is the best one in terms of my uh that, that's how i see it anyway but uh but yeah that was that was like I said, I, I really could get behind him as a character and understand sort of where he was coming from. And um, I enjoyed that world a lot more than uh, The Night Comes for Us. I want to chime in this because Itman it 1 is one of the very few martial arts movies I'd recommend to people who aren't martial arts fans because the storytelling and the characters are so good. Uh, Itman 2 and 3 are, as Ben said, they're, 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 they're fine. But Itman 1 is like legitimately like one of my favorite like martial arts movies for reasons beyond the fighting. Yeah, there's some really great fight stuff, too. Like, I, I grew up sort of watching, like, um, you know, Jackie Chan stuff, obviously, but I was around for, like, the Tony Jaa ascendancy, and I, I was a big fan of, like, the Ong Bak movies and stuff like that. So if anybody out there is listening and, and knows and enjoyed those movies but hasn't seen the It Man trilogy, I would recommend checking it out. Very cool. HT, what have you been watching? Uh, speaking of Netflix and also speaking of just genial reality shows in general, I've been watching Netflix's Queer Eye. I was kind of looking for a show to watch while I was packing um, and something that I kind of didn't really need to pay t too much attention to. But uh, I, so I put on Queer Eye, which I've been meaning to get to for a long time, and I ended up like stopping to, from my packing for a little bit and just watching the series and then start and I you know would end up crying at the end of every episode because it's just this uh, wholesome 
good-hearted series about you know the Fab Five who go around making over these the their their heroes. Their uh, that's what the clients are called lives, and not just in sort of um, in fashion and in appearance, but they do they do so like wholesale. Like they go in and they try to find like what their what their issue is, maybe why they're stunted, why they're um, they're being held back in life, and they go in and do like a soul and um, appearance makeover. And I also make over their house too. It's great. Like they do like hair and fashion, but also they have the Karama who's the culture guy and he gives them basically like a therapy session. And then they have Bobby who designs like basically an entire house for them. And it's so, it's so good. And it really, it deals very well with, um, racial and LGBT issues in, kind of the Trump era, actually, because it's set, a lot of these episodes are set in um, Georgia, and uh, there where there isn't typically a large community for, that is very accepting of either LGBT people or of um, other races, which is, um, there's one, there's a black man, and then there's a Muslim man in uh, the Fab Five. So it deals with them really well and quite gracefully in ways I didn't expect. And it's always so inspiring to watch them not only make over these people, but change these people's minds in a lot of senses. Cause a lot of these got these men or even women from um, Georgia are a little closed minded, but end up coming out of the experience, just completely like full of love and the fab fives who come out changed as well. It's such a good show that you wouldn't expect to make you cry every episode but somehow it does so it's just like me packing watching the series and then crying and like falling asleep in my pile of clothes so that's been like my experience for the past few days <laughs> it sounds like a way of, live, of life so um, <laughs> let's move on to what we've been eating uh i have uh, aside from disneyland which i had a cheat day I have I've been on this diet for over a month now. I've lost now 20 pounds, so I Woo! am uh, celebrating that. And I celebrated that at Disneyland, so now, now I'm actually, I think, at like 19 or 18 because I gained some weight. But uh, I am happy about it. I'm happy about my progress. Uh, Brad, on the other side of the coin, wh- what kind of crazy things have you eaten this week? Uh, nothing too crazy this time, but... Now that uh, Halloween is officially over, all of the uh, Christmas-themed candy and stuff is starting to hit the shelves. And so one of the things that just came out is new hot cocoa-flavored Hershey Kisses. Um, and I, I found these like pretty much as soon as November started in the store, and I picked them up. Um, and they're pretty good. It's They're described as sort of as having marshmallow-flavored cream inside of them, but the marshmallow flavor isn't very strong. Um, they're, they're definitely like a kind of a cocoa flavor, but it doesn't taste too much different from just a, if you had a Hershey kiss that was filled with a slight, slightly softer chocolate filling. Um, so they're, they're good, but they don't really give off too much of a, of a hot cocoa with marshmallows flavor. Uh, so if you're, you know, if you're the kind of person hoping for, I guess the, the marshmallow flavor to really come out in something like that, you might be a little bit disappointed. Um, and that'd be, oh, okay, that'd be here. So what what is the key difference between a normal chocolate kiss and the hot cocoa chocolate kiss if you can't really taste the marshmallow? Well, the so the it has a filling inside of it, and the filling itself is softer than what would what a normal Hershey kiss would be, since it has, ah. has a softer inside. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit creamier, 
And the, the chocolate that is inside of it does taste more of like a hot cocoa as opposed to a milk chocolate flavor. Um, so it's, it's it's a little bit different. It's it's not too different from like, I guess, the they, they make these Hershey Kisses that also have a truffle filling. Um, and it's it's kind of like that. But like I said, there's there's definitely a, 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 a slightly, you know, distinct cocoa flavor as opposed to just the regular uh, chocolate flavor. W- would you buy these again? Um, I mean, probably not. I've already tried them. And like, like I said, like they're, they're not remarkably different, you know, from just a Hershey kiss with a different kind of chocolate filling. So it's, you know, not a favorite, but they're, they're not bad. They're, you know, worth giving a shot, I guess. Now, like me, you are also an Oreo connoisseur. You like trying out all the new Oreo flavors and there's a, a new one out, right? Well, so this isn't a new one. This is just me celebrating because every winter, uh, Oreo brings back their white fudge covered Oreos and they're finally back in, in stores in the seasonal section with all the, the winter candy and stuff like that. So I uh, picked some up and had them um, the other day and they're just, it's one of my favorite things that happens around Christmas time. Uh, so if you, if you haven't had these for whatever reason uh, you should, cause they're, they're probably one of the best Oreos ever. Now, Brad, I'm on a diet, so I can't go out and buy Oreos, but I have seen that there's, now peppermint bark Oreos, and I'm kind of wondering what's the difference between the peppermint bark Oreos and the candy cane flavored Oreos of I think last year. I ha- I saw these and I haven't picked them up yet simply because I I'm not the biggest um like peppermint, peppermint bark fan. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. peppermint as a flavor, but peppermint bark Oreos just didn't really seem all that great to me is like you said especially because we've already had the candy cane oreos and apparently the difference this time which might which might make a difference for some people is that it's not just pieces of little pieces of candy cane that are in the cream this time apparently the cream itself is actually peppermint flavored oh okay yeah. that makes sense yeah you got to try it Brad you got to try it for me so i i, I can hear about it maybe maybe i'll give him a whirl uh okay let's move on to what we've been playing Jacob, what have you been playing this week? I'm still making my way through Cowboy Simulator, a.k.a. Red Dead Redemption 2. It is an astonishing piece of work. I've never played a game that was this immersive and a game that forces you to live out that immersion. As discussed a lot online a little bit last week, uh, this game doesn't doesn't offer any shortcuts. It doesn't offer any easy ways to go about um, uh, making your experience like sped up. For example, if you're if you use your gun too often in this in this Western game, it starts becoming less effective. So you have to open up the menu, take out your gun polish, your, your gun oil, and clean your gun. And there's an actual animation <laughs> where you see him applying the oil and rubbing it. And so it's, it games like that constantly. It's like if you want your horse to like you, you got to pet your horse. You have to groom it. You have to be with it for a long time and hopefully it won't die because your horses can die really easily if you ride them to a gunfight and it's really hard to bring any horses don't get brought back to life super easily so it's the kind of thing where it's like i'm i've really gotten into this i've really gotten into how the game says nope this is this is as close to reality as we're going to try this we're going to get we're going to push you to try to actually experience a cowboy's life and it reminds me a lot of how um grand theft auto 5 the previous game by rockstar was very much a power trip it was very much like you can go anywhere, blow anything up, shoot anything, get away, and you're fine. And Kotaku had a really good article um, about this, so I'm going to echo their sentiments, and I'll grab a link for the show notes. We'll talk about how this game is a criticism of power fantasies, 
because if you break the law, you know, you're, it, it, it hangs with you. People start reacting to you um, in, in fear or fright if, if, if you have a bad reputation. It is very hard to survive massive gunfights because you're using these, these antique weapons. Your guy does not move like a superhero. He moves like a 30-year-old cowboy <laughs> running around um, running around the wilderness. Like, nothing about this is intended to like feel like you're feel good like you play an assassin's creed game for instance you're climbing up towers leaping high distances and being acrobatic in red redemption 2 you fall off your horse and fall on the ground and your character limps up you know it's <laughs> it's it, it it's it, i find it intoxicating i find it really thrilling uh I, I get why it doesn't work for some people i get why the, the pace or the realism or the detail feels like a waste of time or energy but I am fascinated by the tone this game presents. So the narrative is not ramping up in any way. Uh, the um, the story is definitely slow moving. Um, I but at the same time, I'm not necessarily pouring through the story missions. Um, right now, I'm still the game's still teaching me things. Like I thought I had learned everything the game needs to do, need to know. And then recently, the game said, "Oh, we're going to go to the stables now to, to teach you how to buy and trade horses." So I'm like, "Oh, okay, I'm going <laughs> to learn how to buy and trade horses now." Even uh, so. Uh, I know from where I stand, the back half of the game is the story gets really good. But right now, from where I am, the, the game is more about learning how to be, learning how to cowboy. And I'm learning how to cowboy, and I'm enjoying it very much. Still waiting uh, for the story to really kick in, but I'm I'm assured that it does. I'm actually surprised that the like cleaning the gun example that you give that there isn't like a mini game in there where you actually have to like you know, somehow see a close-up of the gun and clean it. And it's just like <laughs> an animation because I feel like that would be, that would be the true, the true reality of the West, right? Like where you actually have to get in there and get like all the like little areas somehow with, uh, you yeah. know, the analog stick. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it's, I feel like the game rides this very fine line between frustrating and enthralling and, it's kind of kind of thing. Where, like, yeah, you, you can go customize your bullets by like taking your knife and like carving a little hatch in them, to make them make them more explosive or something like that. I remember, um, but you have to do it to each individual one of them at a campfire. <laughs> so it's like, so it's it's just like the monotony of it is both the point um, and it, it's the point of it. I'll just I'll, I'll leave it there. It's the point of it. Like, yeah, if you want to have these these more powerful options or a better gun, you got to take the time to do it right. And it's a weird lesson for a for a, a medium entertainment that's often about immediate pleasure. What else have you been playing this week? I picked up a game that uh, called The Mummy Demastered, and this game is strange as hell, Peter, because um, they don't make a lot of movie tie-in video games these days. Usually, they make mobile games to tie in. This is a video game based on the 2017 Tom Cruise The Mummy. However. <laughs> Wait, it's, it just came out now, or did it come out it, around it, the time? It came out last year, but okay. last year I started hearing weird rumblings that it was actually a good game. So I picked it up when it was on sale for the Switch recently. And The Mummy Demastered, it's called Demastered because it is made to look like a game made in the early 90s. It's, made, it's a Metroid or Castlevania-style uh, side-scroller where you're exploring tombs and battling mummies and monsters and upgrading your weapons and exploring. And it has... It is really cool it is it is so much better than the actual movie it is uh really has a really great soundtrack the gameplay is addictive it has this old school you know 16-bit look that um i find really really appealing in an age where i feel pixel art is often overplayed um and the fact that this mummy tie-in game (laughs) is is actually good 
and it's actually like, like worth playing is astounding and surprising and it's it's pretty cheap i think i know i got it on stuff for 13 bucks and it's like it's a full meal of a game it's not like some cheap cash and it's, it's made by a uh, way forward games who's a they're a good company and i feel like i don't know how they got involved in this i don't know how universal let them make this or let them spend the time and energy to make it good but somehow there's a really, really, really good 2017 The Mummy video game. <laughs> so you're <laughs> saying that the the dark universe needs to pivot to video games? <laughs> Maybe yes, if they're all this good. There's even <laughs> there's even a 16-bit Russell Crowe who appears on the screen to give you orders. It's <laughs> that's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> that, uh, that, that is crazy. Like, how much is that game? Like, how much did you get that on sale for? I got it for 13 bucks. I think it's normally 19.99. Um, but if, if you're a fan of like if you're a fan of that kind of game, like you know how uh, Metroid and Castlevania are the the side-scrolling exploration games where they're not level-based. It's a massive world, but still side-scrolling, and you have to like find the new routes and explore and backtrack and find use puzzle solving to get around while you're shooting enemies. It's it's that style of game, uh, and it's definitely it's it's a, the phrase people use is Metroidvania because it's a combination of Metroid and Castlevania style um, design elements. But it really does work, and it's a really good throwback. And there are lots and lots and lots of Metroidvania-style games out there these days, and somehow the Mummy Demastered is is top-tier Metroidvania. Crazy. What else have you been playing? Uh, it's still in the shrink wrap, but I picked up Diablo 3 for the Nintendo Switch. I played it on PlayStation 4 and came out in 2012. Looking forward to playing it again uh, mobile. I feel like it's the kind of game where... It has enough grinding and, and enough entertaining repetition. That's been great for plane trips, great for you know killing time between more important engagements. I'm really excited about um, hacking and slashing on my Switch. Very cool. HT, what have you been playing this week? So Two Divas released uh, two great self-love and self-empowering songs this weekend. And that's Ariana Grande's Thank You Next and Carly Rae Jepsen's Party for One. And they've been kind of the perfect... A uh, packing playlist for me. Just those two songs only. I haven't listened to anything else. <laughs> Just kidding. I have a whole other soundtrack, but I'm sure everyone else is, is uh, sick of hearing me talking about packing. But they've been they've been really good uh, ways for me to like uh, get inspired and uh, you know say goodbye to my DC life and, and call none of the exes that I have in in the city. So um, it's um yeah it's a it's been. They've, they're both great. Their uh, Ariana song is more of like a sultry, intimate R&B uh, pop song, whereas Carly Rae's is her typical uh, synthy 80s song. And they're I've I've been playing both of them nonstop. <laughs> See, I I, I I have no sense of any modern music. I, I, like I'm really bad with uh, music, so I don't know either of these songs. But I'm just picturing you like packing. Uh, with like 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 an anime style with like the subtitle <laughs> "Party for One" above it, with like like I don't know, like these lights blaring, like it's like a party by yourself. Packing. It kind of is perfect, yeah. It's my kind of party. <laughs> well, very cool. That brings us to the end of uh this edition of Slash One Day. Actually, HT, when are you moving? Um, this coming Saturday. This coming Saturday. Crazy. Okay. Well, this brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. Uh, you can find more of all our work on SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast, Slash Film Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And we will try to get to them on a future edition. We've gotten quite a couple 
quite a few answers or responses to Chris's uh, life advice and uh, yeah. some clarifications. Uh, yeah, so pe- people people either love it or do do not like the advice that you are shelling out, Chris. We, we will oh, get to on. that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. Later. My advice is perfect. It's flawless. <laughs> yeah. uh, please go to our iTunes page. Leave us a glowing five-star review. Tell your friends for the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hey, hey Peter, two things. Yeah. Uh, first of all, it's a Polygon article, not a Kotaku article, so I've put the link in the show notes for you. Okay. Uh, second of all, uh, it, it, it's time for the book. Oh, goodness. It's, it's time for the gargantuan book of insult, offense, and affrontery by Louis A. Sefian. See, I just imagine, like, someone who's, like, listening to the podcast for the first time and is like, I'm here to listen to news. And first of all, they're, like, listening to, like, HD talk about packing and and me talking about dieting and Brad talking about Oreos and, like, what the heck is this? And he gets up to the point where Jacob pulls out a book of this book. Like what? What are what do people think of this podcast? This is like the first episode of the podcast that they, that they hear. Well, Peter, I don't know what they think of the podcast, but I know that you 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 look like Grant General, <laughs> not Carrie. <laughs> uh, what a timely joke! <laughs> well, Chris, Chris, you are a war baby. Your folks took one look at you and started fighting. A war wait, baby. Wait, what is this book oh. from? <laughs> like, w- when were these jokes written? <laughs> I know this was uh, published in like the eighties or nineties, right? We've, we've got yeah, all yeah, of that. This new edition like from a few years ago. I feel like this is like a folklore type of book where they just compile <laughs> all the crappy jokes from the past century. Well, HG at a holiday party, they hung you up and kissed the mistletoe. Oh my! Hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh. Uh, ben, you appeared recently in a beauty contest and got several offers from plastic surgeons. <laughs> wow. Uh... Hey, well, Brad, Brad's smarter than he looks. That is le- that at least is reassuring. What? Uh... <laughs> I think that's mostly a compliment. <laughs> no, I think he's saying that you. You're very Wait, ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I'm gonna go with the. I'm just gonna hear the smart part of it. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna read one in general because I, I it's I don't too mean uh, to apply to a, a certain person. It doesn't make sense. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna read it as written. <clears throat> in fact, I think, I think it demands a slightly old timey voice. <clears throat> a fellow took her out once and announced to his friends, "Was that a girl? Was that a girl?" That's what everyone kept asking. Was that a girl? What? Uh, <laughs> I I don't. I think it's supposed to be like. Uh, boy howdy was that a girl yeah like, exactly it, it, that kind of thing the first ones and then the other ones they're just like no literally was that, was a, that a human girl? woman <laughs> you know what I, I, I just tried to google this book is so stupid joke and none came out so <laughs> that's not the title <laughs> no but i was trying to fi- come up with a joke oh. to, to give jacob telling him his uh. book is so stupid but apparently that's not a thing no, maybe, maybe sure there's an area in, in the book. Yeah, this yeah, book exactly. is so fat. <laughs> yeah. Well, Peter, you have a very sympathetic face. It has everyone's sympathy. Oh boy. Oh. I, I don't think people are going to listen to another episode of this <laughs> first episode. <laughs> like I said, to. wrap it up. 